Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's in your New Testament uh, after Thessalonians and before Titus. Uh, 1 Timothy. We're beginning a new study tonight in this uh, letter of Paul to a young minister. What is this letter about? Uh, It's a book about the household of God. If you were to flip over to chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So we'll be thinking over the course of our study about living and growing together in the family of God, the church. Tonight I'd like to introduce you to the book and invite you to consider the first couple of verses, the greetings. So if you have a Bible, we're at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior, And of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would be our teacher tonight. We pray that you would open uh, your word to us, that we would behold wonderful things in it. We pray that through it, it would be a a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, that you would guide us and direct us, mold us and change us uh, from one degree of glory into another for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In this book, Paul's going to tell us how we are to behave in the church, which is the household of God. Now, as soon as we say that, we recognize that we need that. We need to learn how to do that, like children need to learn how to live in a home. Uh, A woman uh, was at home doing some cleaning, and when the telephone rang, In going to answer it, she tripped over a scatter rug and grabbing something to hold on to, she grabbed the telephone table. This is back in the day when you plugged the telephone into the wall and had it on a cord. And Anyway, she was falling, so she grabbed the table, she pulled it down, the ringer went off the hook, uh, and at just that moment, it landed on the dog who leaped, howling and barking. The woman's three-year-old son, startled by the noise, broke out into loud screams. The woman mumbled some colorful words. She finally managed to pick up the receiver and lifting it to her ear, she did so just in time to hear her own husband's voice on the other end say, nobody said hello yet, but I'm positive I have the right number. (laughs) He knew his household by the mess. That's the household of God known by her imperfection in this world, 
Uh, we don't have it all together, and that's us. And so, yet, Paul believes that we can grow. We can change. We can grow stronger and healthier and more reflect the image of the father of the household. And so that's where we're headed. Two issues tonight before us. In the first place, why is Paul writing and why do we need to hear it? I want to have you think with me about the whole book. And and then secondly, why does he begin this way in verses 1 and 2? So two big questions. In the first place, why is he writing uh, these words and why do we need to hear it? Well, let me ask you this question. If, if I were to ask you, what is the church supposed to be like, how would you answer that question? Timothy, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, are the Bible's answer uh, in large measure to that question. What should the local church be doing? What should our priorities be? How, how should we be as a church ordered and administrated and, and led? How should the local church focus its resources and use them? How should we relate to one another as people who share maybe the only thing in common, Jesus, but not much else? Let me highlight some of what Paul is saying so you can see where he's going to take us and why he's writing these things and then, and then apply that a little bit. So what I want to do is show you the highlights of the six chapters to give you a taste for the book. In in chapter 1, Paul says in the church of God, in God's household, uh, the the gospel should be at the center of, of our lives. And there are healthy benefits to sound doctrine. So that in verse 15, he says very positively, This is a trustworthy saying deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Paul's going to talk about Jesus, the good news of the gospel. But he's going to do it in the midst of a chapter in which at verse 3 he's going to have to say, Now watch out, watch out, Timothy, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So he's going to highlight the truth about Jesus and he's going to say, but there are people who get it wrong and they're teaching that. And we need to distinguish those things because God's people need to listen to the truth and need to reject falsehood. That's chapter one. Chapter two is about public worship, especially the importance of prayer in worship. He says, when you get together, what should that look like? Notice chapter two, verse one. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. See, he's saying, when you get together, one of the things you ought to be doing is praying. So again, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. In church, we pray in worship. And so he's going to have some things to say to us about worship. In chapter 3, he's going to turn to a new subject. He's going to turn to the, the issue of church leadership. When at chapter 3, verse 1, he says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. He's going to talk about elders. Uh, Verse 8, he's going to begin to talk about deacons. He's going to talk about officers in God's church helping, serving, and leading God's people. And the time is ripe for us to think about that. We need in the household of God qualified leaders. In chapter 4, 
He's going to talk about the issue of general Christian godliness and even youthful godliness. I mean, if you look at verse 8, you may have heard one of his famous sayings when he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's going to talk about godliness, and then he's going to tell Timothy in that chapter, don't let anybody look down on you for youthfulness. And even in your youthfulness, demonstrate godliness. So he's going to talk about how Christians should live in a godly way. We all need to mature and grow into these things, because we're not what we ought to be. So then in chapter 5, he's going to turn to a new subject, the, the care of the congregation particularly the needy in the congregation. He's going to start at chapter 5, verse 1, with how we ought to honor all kinds of different people. So he'll say, you know, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. But then at verse 3, he's going to say, honor widows who are truly widows. At verse 9, let a widow be enrolled, helped, on on the list of those who get the resources of the church because of their need. So he's going to talk about widows, he's going to talk about elders at verse 17, they have different kinds of needs, but the care of the congregation, that's what he talks about. And in the last place in chapter 6, he's going to talk about all kinds of issues related to contentment and generosity. Uh, This is the famous chapter where in in verse 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so at verse 10, he warns very famously The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So in the church, he's going to say, we need to learn to be content, whatever our circumstances, and those who are rich need to learn to be generous and not put their hopes in this world. So all kinds of, and there's plenty more here. I'm just trying to show you that he's talking about teaching, chapter one, worship and prayer, chapter two, leadership, chapter three, Godliness, chapter 4. Mutual care, chapter 5. Contentment in our circumstances, chapter 6. These are some of the big themes. Now, why are we studying this book? Why do we need to hear this? We are at an important time in the life of our very young church. If you imagine the day all of us are gone and our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren Lord willing, if some stay in Siloam, have have Redeemer to be part of and to hear the good news of the gospel. What would that church look like? That's the church we're aiming for, living for, uh, aiming to pray for. Obviously, that begins now here with us. And we're at the time where we really need to think about patterns of ministry, growth, and church leadership. Those issues come out in this um, And I want to say a few words about um, how God uh, governs the church and the kind of model he gives for how the church should live. There are basically three major models on the market of how to do church. You know, what's the church, what's its priorities to be? How are we, what are we supposed to be about? There's the model on the one hand of church life that says, if you want to be successful in today's world, and really effective at reaching out to others, you've got to change the gospel message. Uh, The message needs to be updated. Uh, The message, people will say, it doesn't connect with this generation. Uh, It doesn't answer this generation's needs. 
Uh, some parts of the Bible are frankly offensive and we need to either hide those offensive parts or rethink those. Or some will say, you know, some parts of it are just, they're just kind of quaint and old fashioned and we've really moved on in the 21st century. So if we're going to be successful at reaching out and influencing people, the message needs to be changed. And there are churches, as I can only assume you well know, all over this region, this state, this nation, and around the world, where they have done just that. They have, they've changed the message. They have done it, perhaps, in a well-intentioned way. Meaning, perhaps, they, they wanted to reach out, and they didn't think the message would work. And so they updated the message. That's the, we might call the liberal model of how to do church. Now, evangelicals, Bible believers, have always rejected that. Um, We've seen that the message is God's message. It's not our message. We don't get to toy with it, play with it, change it, or update it. Uh, And frankly, that message still works. It works in our hearts. It works in our souls. It works in our families. It meets our deepest needs. It glorifies God. It tells sinners there's a Savior who's willing to love you and have you and forgive you and bring you to the Father forever. It's a wonderful message. And we don't need to monkey with that message. But there is a different model of church. It's, uh, it's a model that many evangelicals have embraced. Rather than saying the message is the problem, they said the method is the problem. In other words, it's not that we need to update the message. The message is fine, but we need new, better, more creative, more entrepreneurial ways to get the message out because the old message would be more effective if we did that. It's the second model. We might call it the modern evangelical model of how to do church. Not going to change the the message, but we're going to update the methods. And if we get the right methods, the message will work better. Behind that model is the idea that God gives us the message But God doesn't really give us the method. But there's a third model, I'd call it the biblical model, that's on display around the world in churches. And it's the model of these pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. It says that both the message and the method for building the church come from God. He's not given us a message And then left us on our own to sort of figure out how to do life together as Christians. Instead, God has brought us into his family. And as a father, he decides how his family should run. And he tells us how his household should operate. The message doesn't need to be updated. It just needs to be clearly communicated to every generation. Because the message is eternally true. And the method doesn't need to be updated. It's commanded by God. We just need to learn how to live under it. Uh, So that uh, not only what we preach, but how we practice it comes from God. 
And what you have in this book is God's divinely inspired pattern for Christian ministry. There's more to be said in 2 Timothy and Titus. There's more to be said in the New Testament. But we do have that here very clearly. And so let's just pause and reflect on that for, for a few minutes. If, let me just say this. If what you think is important in the life of God's church isn't mentioned in these pastoral epistles, you might need to rethink your view of the church because this is what God thinks is important. Um, But just saying all that doesn't make it happen. Just studying it for a few months together isn't going to enable it to all come into being. We certainly aren't what we should be and we are inadequate to shape ourselves up. Uh, Over a hundred years ago, a Scottish preacher named Alexander White said this, Well might Timothy, and well may every living minister today lay down these two terrible epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and say over them, Who is sufficient for these things? For no mere man is sufficient for such things as these. No mortal man is sufficient for such a holy ministry as that. But then no mere and mortal man is expected to be sufficient. You must not go away and suppose that the apostle himself was sufficient for half of the charges he laid to Timothy. Paul, you may be sure, threw down his pen again and again in the composition of these two pastoral epistles and took himself to his knees and to the blood of Christ before he could finish what he had begun to write. He's he's provocatively saying, we are inadequate for the tasks before us. We, when we feel our inadequacy, so much the better. Then we're driven to our knees. Then we go to the throne of grace for help. Then we look to the Holy Spirit to do what we cannot do. So, Uh, by way of closing our application on this first half, I would invite you to pray for me. I'm called to preach and to pray and to pastor and to plan and a variety of things, to train Christians for ministry, to train elders and deacons to carry their responsibilities of service to the church. Who is sufficient for these things? As Paul said about Apollos, one may plant... Uh, one may sow the seed, you know, one may plant, one may water, but God gives the growth. And he's going to have to do so, and he'll do so in answer to your prayers. Uh, but won't you also not only pray for me, but pray for yourself and pray for each other. Let's pray for Redeemer, that God would make us a people who love and guard the truth, who pray from the heart, genuinely, with the things that the Lord cares about. That God would make us a church whose leaders love the gospel and serve the people. Where Christians of all kinds are growing in godliness. Let's pray that we would honor and care for one another. And where God would shape us into content and generous people. That All those things would characterize the household of God. Let me invite you to pray. Now that's the first thing. This is... This is some of why Paul is writing this letter, some of why we need to hear it. Now, the second thing is to go back to verses 1 and 2. Why does he begin the letter this way? And what can we learn in these couple of short verses? Well, 
Uh, on the one hand, this is, in many ways, the typical way in that day that you began a letter. You tell who you are, you say who you're writing to, and then you usually offered some kind of a prayer or a blessing, a desire for their well-being. So, you know, Paul to Timothy, greetings. Okay? But, of course, in every letter Paul writes, he varies what he says just a little bit. Why, what he's, why does he say what he says here? Well, let me suggest he's trying to gain their ears to pay attention to what he's going to say in the rest of the book. And, and not only for Timothy, but for those in the church who will hear this book through Timothy. Uh, so let me suggest uh, three things that he's aiming at, what, uh, how he's trying to get them to listen in the first place. At verse 1, he's saying, listen to me, my message is from God. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. In other words, Paul begins with his credentials. I am an apostle. An apostle is a sent one. Someone called to an office and commissioned to carry out that office. In this case, Paul was sent by Jesus to bear Jesus' own message to the churches. And here, to Timothy. In other words, you don't have here Paul's own uh, highly developed private religious opinion. This isn't his best thoughts, you know, as a, a Jewish rabbi who became a Christian. This isn't Paul's best thoughts as an older Christian helping a younger Christian. No, what you have here is Jesus' own message. That's what it means to be an apostle. There are lots of competing voices out in the world trying to say to us, listen to me, I've, I'm the voice of God to you. I know the will of God for you. And Paul says, don't listen to all those voices, not just anyone, listen to the messengers Jesus appointed, because in doing so, you're listening to Jesus. And, and, and how do we hear those messengers today? Not by having self-appointed apostles arise in our own day, but by listening to the apostles Jesus gave to establish his church. And you have their writings, you have their words, his words in your New Testament. So he's saying, look, I'm an apostle. And I didn't send myself. This was by the command, by orders from on high of God and Christ. Notice that language. Of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, I am commanded. I didn't appoint myself. The church didn't appoint me and send me to do this work. Like, like the church might appoint and send missionaries and ministers in our day. Very rightly so. But Paul wasn't appointed by the church to the work. And the church then doesn't have the right to ignore Paul's work. He was appointed and commanded, chosen and called by God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And we need that kind of authority today. There's a man named uh, Dr. Cornelius Plantiga, a philosopher. He tells this story. New Englanders tell of an old man who lived outside a certain town. This man was an expert electrician. In fact, when he was young, he had designed the electrical system for the whole town. 
He figured out how the lines and the circuits could best be arranged, put every home in the town on a grid, and bring electricity to each house that wanted it. And in the end, virtually everyone wanted it. But the townspeople did not treat the man well. There was prejudice of ageism. They said eventually, you're too old. And they fired him and they replaced him with a couple of younger electricians. In effect, uh, the town told the the old man to get lost. So he moved out to a cabin in the nearby woods and nobody saw or heard from him for quite some time. Then, one day, the town's power failed. The lights flickered and went out, the refrigerators began to defrost, the central air conditioning stopped working, the corner shops ran out of candles, the switchboard in the town hall was jammed with anxious people calling in and complaining, but neither of the young electricians knew how to solve the problem. They ran around helplessly, then then one of the town councilors remembered the old man in the woods. Possibly he could find a way to restore the supply. He was an authority, after all, on the town's system because he had designed and installed it. So the old man was brought to the central power plant. He walked around slowly for a few minutes, shining his flashlight here and there. Finally, he pulled a little hammer out of his bag. bag. He, He walked over to one main circuit and gently tapped on it. Instantly, the lights went on and power surged throughout the whole system. And the old man returned to the woods. Three weeks later, the town received a bill. On it, the old man charged the town $1,000.05 for his work. This is how he listed the charges. Five cents, tapping. $1,000, knowing where to tap. The old man was an authority on the town's electrical supply system because he was its author, its designer, its installer. The system came from him. And Paul is saying to us, Jesus is in charge of his household. He knows what he wants. He knows what he's designed it for. He knows how to bring it back into being. And Jesus sent me, says Paul, And I'm simply passing along what he says about his church. We need to listen to him. He's an authority. So don't ignore Paul. Don't pit Paul against Jesus or Jesus against Paul. What Paul is saying here, Jesus is saying here. That's what it means to be an apostle, commanded, listen to me. And since he has that authority, we need to listen to him. Now, that may seem... On Paul's part, on the preacher's part, it may come across as kind of heavy-handed. Paul, you know, pulls out the big guns. I'm really, I'm really necessary for you folks. You've got to pay attention. Maybe you chafe under being commanded. Paul's going to command Timothy because God commanded Paul. Paul will command Timothy. Timothy will be commanded to command the people. And we're going to hear all kinds of commands about how we ought to behave. Maybe your inclination, as it is for so many of us when we're commanded to do something, our first inclination is to say, well, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. Just remember 
that Paul goes all the way up the chain. You're hearing this from God. And what kind of God are you hearing it from? Notice his words. By command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. In other words, what kind of God is he? He's a rescuing God who turns on the lights when they're out, who gets the air conditioning going when it quit, who restores your dishwasher when it's leaking dishwasher mechanical oil onto your dishes and you've lived with it for months thinking it's just a little extra dirty in there. And he's the one who installs the new dishwasher. And he's not only interested in rescuing us, but he's interested in our well-being for the future. He gives us hope for the future. That's the one who's talking to us in this book. He's not trying to harm us, but save us. Not destroy us, but give us a future. So we ought to listen to him. We need the wisdom of the Father and of the Savior to know how to live in his household. So listen to Paul, Paul says. But then he says, secondly, listen to Timothy. Timothy, listen to me, but you listen to Timothy. Uh, Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, he says. He's writing pointedly to Timothy, but he knows the church is listening to this letter. I mean, after all, why would you, if you're the spiritual father to your own spiritual son, Timothy, why bother with Paul, an apostle, commanded? Timothy knows all that. Timothy knows he's a true son. It's because others need to hear that to strengthen Timothy's hand in his work among them. Now, who is this Timothy? Timothy, he said, my true child in the faith. Well, Timothy was a young man and minister. He uh, had to be told in this book not to let anyone look down on him because of his youth. Now, how old was he? We're not exactly sure. Nearly nearly two decades or at least a decade and a half before Paul writes to him in this book, Paul had encountered him in his hometown and seen Timothy brought to faith in Christ and matured so much that within two years of meeting Paul, Timothy is traveling with Paul everywhere and eventually being sent out by Paul to do really hard and courageous works. Timothy will be imprisoned at one point with Paul. He will suffer with Paul. Paul will have to leave for his own safety and he'll leave Timothy behind to carry on the work. He was a younger man and as best we know, uh, that, that word younger means uh, and can extend all the way up into your 30s or even your fo- early, uh, up until 40. The old, um, the old church uh, leader Irenaeus uh, in the early church said, 30 is the first stage of a young man's age and extends to 40, as all will admit. <laughs> uh, some of you didn't know you were still young. No doubt Tim, uh, Timothy, <laughs> no doubt some called him Tim to remind him of how young he was, or maybe Timothy. He felt young and experienced, probably. He certainly had heavy responsibilities. We also know that he was... He was uh, maybe shy or timid. I'm not sure exactly how to put it. But Paul at one point will have to tell him, now Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. Um, and, and we know that Timothy had some physical ailments that made him regularly ill. 
Paul will have to say to him, I want you to drink a little bit of wine with your water because of your recurring stomach problems. In other words, you need to purify your water better, Timothy, because you're always getting sick. Um, And so he was young, he was timid, he was frail. Uh, why, Why affirm Timothy? You are my true, my genuine child in the faith. Why say all that? To remind Timothy of Paul's affection for him and to tell the people, this is my man. He is not only faithful to me, he's faithful to God. He's a true, genuine, not an illegitimate child, but a legitimate child in the faith. So listen to him. And he wants Timothy to know, because Timothy's going to be up against it. He's going to have lots of older people in his congregation. He's going to have people who teach false things. He's going to have to rebuke them, correct them. He's going to have to say some hard things to people. Paul wants the people to know Timothy is playing for the right team and they should cheer him on, not bring him down. What an encouragement that would have been to a young man in a difficult ministry situation. Now, listen, I want to say to you, I'm not in a difficult ministry situation. I have it easy. Don't make my life harder. I have it easy here. Y'all are so gracious and kind. I know that you pray for me and you encourage me. And I've gotten to be friends with so many of you. I'm not in Timothy's situation here. But but I do want to say every Christian needs this kind of encouragement from those who are older in the faith. If you are more mature, it doesn't matter so much how old you are. If you're more mature in the faith, come alongside the younger ones. Encourage them. Lift them up. It's so helpful to hear from others who have gone before you in the faith and to simply say, I'm for you. I love what God is doing in your life. I want to I take you under my wing. We need to be a body that does that for one another. The third reason we need to hear this, and this is the last thing. So not only because Paul is saying, when, you're, when you hear me, you're hearing Jesus, but also when you hear Timothy, you're hearing Jesus. But you need to hear me because my goal is your blessing. There, there it is. This is my great aim. Verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he begins with a blessing. He says, I want you to know the undeserved favor of God to those who don't deserve it. That's grace. And, and I want you to know God's compassion and help for the helpless and needy. That's his mercy. And I want you to know peace. Shalom is the old Hebrew way of putting it. A wholeness of life and well-being in relationship with God who's for you and not against you. I want you to know all these things. In other words, I'm going to say some hard things to you. I'm going to say some things that contradict you. Or Timothy, I'm going to ask you to contradict people. I'm going to say some things that you disagree with. I'm going to have to confront sin. I'm going to have to rebuke people and correct people. But know that my goal isn't to pick a fight with you. And it isn't to win a fight with you. My goal, Paul says, is to bless you. And to know all the blessings that come from God the Father. And Christ Jesus our Lord. Only with his help can we be the family and household of God as he's called us to be. 
Let's be a dependent people upon his grace, mercy, and peace. Let's pray. Father, we'd ask for just those things. Uh, Help us to know all the blessings and benefits of belonging to Jesus and grant that they would mold and shape us into the people you would have us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.